Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 139th episode of the Truth Island podcast. Last week, Alexander and I discussed the nature of curiosity and how school both encourages and hampers the ambitions of children. However, an even greater question to be asking, is it actually possible to mold people's interests? And if so, is it ever right to do so? Alex, what do you think of the phrase, if each of us didn't do the things we did not like, nothing would get done? I think that um, like everything, there's a balance between doing things that you don't like to do that holds a very important purpose. And you know, that's discipline. That's basically what discipline is. And without discipline, you're completely lost. So maybe on like pulling the, the zoom lens out a little bit on a macro level over the span of an entire life, like enslavement, that's a little different conversation. But if we're talking about little micro things, little uh, tasks and to do's, and it's no different than people who are overweight, who need to exercise or people who have cravings for pizza, go on a diet or those that don't necessarily want to be a parent, raise a child. I know there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of examples of doing things that you don't necessarily want, like to do. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't have benefit either. There's this interesting um, valuation that we put, well, maybe not us so much, but the youngins, you know, on like the experience, <laughs> the experiential element. <clears throat> so the reason I asked this question is I, I think it, deals a little bit with issues of control. So done a previous podcast with my friend Kenny and we talked about stoicism and we talked about uh, the, the influence of control. And we talked about, let's say you have a person such as Steven Spielberg who is set on being the best darn director and that's all that he wants to do. But then you have another person who's kind of thrusted into circumstances that are beyond their control. Maybe they have to, maybe they've ended up being a parent and they don't really want to be a parent, or maybe they're working at an insurance company and they don't really want to work at that insurance company. And my friend Kenny made the argument that the person that can be thrusted into just about any situation that's malleable enough to find themselves as an insurance agent and make the best out of that situation and be curious yeah. about it in the long run is going to be better off than the person who's too rigid and, and believes that life has to kind of conform to what it is that they want. And that's why I kind of ask if like, because in life it, it's nice to pursue what it is that we're passionate about. Do you think there is some virtue in developing curiosity in areas that we may at the get-go, like maybe at the, at the onset, we're not interested in, but it will make life a little bit easier for us to navigate. Personally, you just described me, you know, in a lot of ways, my curiosity is all over the place. You know, it's not, it's not like, you know, my family members who have one specific type of science that they like to study. And then they're just putting tens of thousands of hours into one little protein. I'd go crazy. I'd go absolutely crazy. I'm far more wide than I am building tall in terms of my curiosity. And, you know, that comes with its negatives too, right? Jack of all trade, master of none. That's hundred percent doable. Personally, I think that an innovative curiosity and an, uh, an innovative creativity um, allows you to be unorthodox and unorthodox in your approach and to come at problems and angles indirectly 
to where it's a lot more difficult to be defensible, right? Mm -hmm. For that problem. Um, indirect fire can be a, a tremendous change in terms of how much velocity is required and, you know, how much momentum you need to break through, right? To put it into, I guess, some sort of like martial metaphor. But I, I always find my knowledge of other things informs my knowledge of something I'm currently learning about. And this is how I personally recognize patterns. I, I see patterns in all different kinds of things, right? It's, it's no different than dropping a rock into a calm lake. Are you able to see the shock waves of an event? I think about how in history, certain events create shock waves and it's only a matter of time before it reaches, you know, reaches different countries, different edges, so to speak, to where the reaction time is relative to the proximity of the event. Right. And so there's like little patterns, I guess. And, you know, that's just an example I just pulled out of my hat. But there are patterns that I recognize that allow you to get a little bit of an intuition in, in the time scale of problems and the time scale of when you need to solve it. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I like what you're saying. And I, I as I get older, I'm starting to realize that perhaps it's the guy who knows a little bit about everything than the person who's just ultra specialized in one subject area that actually has a more accurate picture of what reality is. And the, the reason I kind of bring this up is like on our, on, on our first part, we were kind of bashing the education system quite a bit. And rightfully so, by the way, it sucks. <laughs> like rightfully so. Like, but on one hand though, there is something to be said about what I like to call incidental knowledge. So let's just say you're thrown into a random chemistry class and you don't have an innate curiosity for it. You just don't. You just, you do, it's not something you've ever thought about. You don't have an innate curiosity about it. But you end up learning an incredible amount of stuff. And then somewhere randomly in life, that knowledge that you were forced, forced to learn, then becomes handy. Because you're able to connect that knowledge to some other kind of event that happens later on in your life. And this is, this is why I... I I say that maybe there are some virtues in mandatory knowledge or compulsory knowledge because you never mm. know where those dots are going to connect later on in life. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, there is, I mean, you don't know what you don't know. So you going into school as an adolescent, first of all, when can you make good decisions as an adolescent in the first place? So <laughs> what gives you the right to come into this world and say, you know what? I don't need to know how to tie my shoe because I'm going to wear sandals my entire life or I don't need to know how to drive. Try showing up to a job interview with sandals, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good luck, buddy. Good luck. <laughs> or I don't need to know how to add or subtract because I have a calculator. It's like, okay, um, I understand that you have the freedom of speech to say you don't want to learn that, but there are some times when you have to force things upon yourself. And usually the ones that accept the discipline of that and rewire their pathology towards seeing the positivity in it, they, they're the ones that get the most benefit. It's the ones that writhe and scream, right? This is a stoic principle. If you're being pulled behind a cart, it's better to walk with the cart than to try to fight the cart, right? That was one of their basic principles. And knowledge can be the same way. I mean... Here's what, I, here's what I do know. 
it's very hard to learn something when you are anti that subject matter because your brain literally puts up blocks. But once you understand the power of learning, you don't want to stop learning. At least that's what happened to me. I was I wasn't the best student. You know, I, I wasn't I didn't get straight A's, but now I love learning, you know, and I hold debates with uh, people far smarter than I and I hold my own to a point. So th there's two competing voices and both are equally strong, in my opinion. And I, I think the first one is sort of um, the Pink Floyd brick in the wall type argument that like school's forcing me to conform. It's killing my curiosity. I have to spend all day long learning stuff I don't care about when I could actually be writing that novel. Like I'm learning the quadratic formula, but I really just want to be writing novels or I really just want to be practicing my basketball. And there's a great argument to be made there. There is like that Pink Floyd, yeah. like you're turning all of these kids into bricks in the wall. Fair enough. And then there's that other argument of like, well, hold on now through that process of becoming a brick in the wall, you're going to learn a whole bunch of other stuff that will make you a better basketball player or a better, you know, novelist or a better whatever. And I, I, I'm, I think I'm, we're having a lot of difficulty finding where exactly is this right balance? Where, where is this balance where we're not killing people's curiosity by forcing them to do stuff they don't care to do, but the, mm -hmm. at the same time, we're, making them we're expanding their horizons or exp or making them broad enough that they can actually have an appreciation for things outside what they're directly interested in mm. it's i think it's just striking the balance and it, it really comes down to the individual uh it really is like opening up their mind like they have to be willing to stare at blank pages to to refresh their mind refresh their mental approach to a point where they can be accepting to new ideas. And I think that's where humor comes in for teachers. So if it's a difficult subject matter, right? <laughs> you have a really good teacher who's very humorous. I mean, you know this. Yeah, for it sure. It makes a world of difference. Sarcastic. One, one teacher that uh, told me in grad school, always be sarcastic, but not sardonic. So you're, you're, you're making like lighthearted fun of what you're teaching, but not in such a pessimistic negative way as to crush people's soul and to crush their spirit. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. We're, we're very, we as humans absolutely suck at, at, at balance. So how do we know then when, like, I, I think that the person who can kind of just be thrown into any environment and sort of build up curiosity for something that they're not even curious about is going to be a lot happier in the long run because wherever you toss them they're they're going to just kind of mesh and blend and and just adapt really nicely but there is that danger of like having perhaps a higher purpose or a higher calling or, or some other task that you're really invested in how do we know because if you're too complacent if, if i just let's just say i take beethoven right the next beethoven and I decide to make him an insurance agent. And he's like, yeah, cool. I've just completely, you know, messed. I'm totally happy working here. He's never going to go on and make that great sonata that he was always made, you know, he was always meant to make. So how, what are the signs of like, it's time to move on from this environment in which I'm happy and complacent in, but it's not really speaking to my higher essence or my higher calling or, the, or something that I'm deeply passionate about? 
This is something I struggle with. It usually comes down to, am I growing? Mm. Is there some sort of utility in this moment that I can capture? And if the answer is no, I fall apart. I completely unravel. You know, I'm the guy that comes in with a shitty attitude and work. It's, it's not my proudest attribute, to be honest. But if I don't feel challenged, if I don't feel mentally invigorated, I get so bored, so bored of the whole thing. And I disrespect it. And, you know, I know that. And that's not fair to, to the situation or to others involved. But unfortunately, this is just one of my weaknesses. It's also one of my strengths. Because when I am in a situation where I feel mentally invigorated and I am in a situation where I feel that I'm growing, I'm unstoppable. Yeah, this is something I think that um, Malcolm Gladwell, I'm not, I think it was him. He kind of tackles this problem with geniuses in the sense that be, they, they love to be challenged, right? I'm so sorry, they, are you they, saying I'm a genius? Hold on, can we clarify that? Yes, 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 King As. Oh my God, I did it. Thank you. This is the whole reason we've done 200 episodes. Thank you so much for your time. 200? Oh man, I'm glad. I'm Are glad we? that you're uh, uh, Well, hopefully we make it there, man. This is uh, 138, I believe. But Which is uh, wild. Yeah, yeah, it is, totally. Uh, it's been, it's been. let me just say, uh, almost a year now, man. This is quite incredible. Um, but but yeah, speaking, speaking to this idea of geniuses, it's this idea that things come very easy, easily to them. So they, 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 they get bored very easily, right? Like if they can, if all, if, if they're sitting in a classroom and all the kids take an hour to solve a math problem and they can solve it in three minutes, well, they're going to be bored as hell just sitting there, not having anything to do. But what happens though, is they don't build up an endurance for banality, right? Because they constantly, mm. they're constantly seeking like challenge and challenge and challenge. So they never actually develop the muscles to kind of fight through monotony, to fight through boredom, tedium, because they constantly are looking for that like exciting, exciting, and life just can't be all that exciting. So right. it, it's kind of like, yeah, you don't want to, like, I, I agree with you that if something is coming too easy, you're in the wrong place. Like you're, you're in the wrong classroom. You're in the wrong job. If your job is too damn easy. Right. And we, as humans, we love easy stuff because we don't like challenge. We, we're lazy. We're lazy, low hanging fruit primates. <laughs> so I think you kind of hit it there that like, we need, like curiosity comes about with challenge. Yeah. Cause it's, there's this strange vibration that comes through when you're in a situation that's pushing the envelope and you know, you're at the intersection of knowing you can do it, but not having done it before. And it's almost like, um, you're catching this baton, you know, that, or you're, you're catching wind in your sail. And it's like the entire environment is driving you to be more curious and more innovative and more, uh, motivated towards getting it done. And I think that that is a, one of the many types of currents in life that you need to look out for. Because it, honestly, it starts out as a whisper, right? It starts out as a little whisper. You can do it, you know, um, <laughs> or carpe diem, carpe diem, right? You know, like from Dead Poets Society. Um, Seize the day, boys. <laughs> right? you know, that famous, that famous whisper. And so, it's like that. It really is. And then once you dive in, 
and do that thing that excites you, that challenges you and pushes you, your whole operating system is firing on all cylinders. Now, I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, you know, everyone who I who comes on this show, I think obviously they they have a curiosity, right? Like they wouldn't just like answer some random ad for on Craigslist to talk about philosophical topics if they didn't have uh. innate, <laughs> right? like innate curiosity. So my sampling of the people I'm talking to is a bit biased mm. because obviously these are like self-selected philosopher types. Now, here's another angle I want to kind of um approaches from and and I and this is some of the experience I've had as a teacher so by far in history the most exciting topic as a teacher to teach at least in global or US history is probably world war 2 right there's so much video you from from a multimedia from a you know the right. best primary documents and just like this is right. the most compelling thing that ever happened on the face like world war 2 by far is probably the most exciting thing and what I noticed, though, Alexander, is when I was teaching World War II, there were just some kids like they would they they were just not interested. Like they were not interested in World War II. They were bored by it, and they just were not curious. So, a rather grim question that I have to ask here is: Do you mm. think that there are some people on the face of this earth who just don't have built-in curiosity? I mean, why is it why is it that when you have a field trip, let's say you're taking a bunch of kids on a field trip to the Hall of Science, some kids are gonna be like, whoa, that's how, that's what a nucleus looks like, that's what a cell looks like, and they go all sorts of crazy. And then there's just other kids that are on their phone, um, you know, on Instagram or, or whatever it is, and just completely zoned out from that whole experience. And I'm like, are, are those kids that are just zoned out on their phones um, in, curious about other stuff, or do some kids right. just not have any built-in curiosity? And this is a very scary question. I don't have the answer to it. Well, I think there's definitely someone out there who has zero curiosity. I mean, there's someone out there who likes to walk around on all fours in a dog suit while being on a leash. So I'm pretty sure that's more of a stretch than finding <laughs> someone who isn't curious. Um, so yeah, there's someone out there that, I, that isn't curious. But I honestly think that it's more of a failure at home than it is uh, a failure of biology, let's put it that way. Because you can't really live without being somewhat curious, right? There are very depressed, repressed, feeling small people out there, and I understand. But sometimes the people in high school that don't show a sense of curiosity, it's really just where they are in life. And then 10 years down the road, they like teach themselves four languages. They drop 60 pounds. They, they got themselves a six pack. They tan maybe a little bit too much, but they're super smart. And they've dedicated themselves to learning all these new skills. And you got to tip your hat to that, right? It's all, it's all relative. Um, I'm trying to think if I've ever met anyone who just genuinely was so neutral <laughs> that there was no excitement. I want maybe I, don't know I can. If I, have. I think I, I, I'm not going to say that this person was like that, but I remember I was working in college. I was working like the front desk of an office or something like that. And th there was this guy I was working with, right? And they, they allowed, like, when there was no customers, or whatever, they would allow you to do your homework or, or read a book or whatever. And I, I, I had, like, I was like, hey, man, you know, you want to, I have an extra book. And he's like, no. And the guy, he didn't even go on Google. He didn't search. He just sat there and like stared at the walls and, and just was like completely non, 
non, you know, like he didn't need to occupy his mind at all. He was just perfectly content sitting there looking straight ahead into the abyss. And on one hand, it's like some kind of enlightened state. <laughs> you know, I'm like, wow, you've you've calmed your mind down to some some kind of crazy uh, degree. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, may, maybe this is possible. And, and maybe there are people mm. like this out there that just aren't aren't curious. And it's also, I guess I'm also a bit biased because whereas there's a lot of people out there that are curious in gossip, right? And I guess I guess it's I have to overcome my prejudice and be like, well, no, 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 this curiosity and this higher intellectual stuff is more important than your curiosity about what your friend posted on Facebook. So maybe maybe that's a prejudice that I need to kind of overcome. Yeah, I think you've just seen so many students in a critical point in their life that it's not necessarily what all children feel through all ages. Maybe hmm. I mean you, you're. See- you worked with kids at such a crucial age. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When people are the happiest or the saddest or the most accomplished or the feeling the least accomplished, the most driven, the the, the most lost, deaths, births, marriages, runaways. I mean, high school is where it all happens. Right. Jeez. Do you think also, and yeah, I agree with you. And th- there was other, one other thing that you said about the guy who, when they're in high school, they're not curious, but then 10 years later, they've lost 60 pounds. And it actually made me think a little bit. Do you think perhaps motivation is what makes people curious? Because there's actually this quote from Neil deGrasse Tyson that I like. Um, he was, you know, someone asked him once, why did you decide to get interested in physics? Like what made that so interesting to you? And he said he always dreamed of like, I think his father died when he was younger. And he said he dreamed of building a time machine and traveling to the past to visit his father. So right off the bat, it's like, there's a motivation to get something. And maybe that's what's making people curious. Maybe maybe people just aren't curious. Like if there's no reward or there's no motivation to explore something, then people aren't curious about it because they, they ask the question of like, well, what's that gonna do for me? Like, how is that gonna benefit me at all? And that's why they, they're not curious. But if they can see a motivation to learning something, then they become curious about it. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'd say without motivation, you don't do anything, learning or playing video games or whatever. I would actually attribute it more to desire Hmm. than motivation. You know, because a lot of it is play. Some of the best learning you do is within play. And there's really no motivation for play. You could say it's for entertainment, but sometimes it's not even for that. You know, sometimes it's just to fiddle around and to alleviate stress, you know? Sometimes learning can do that, right? Like studying really cool shit. Even if it's anime, right? You're learning about characters and their relationships to each other and the struggles and maybe a little bit of foreign language within that Mm. and what other cultures, how other cultures view particular situations. So I think it's more of a desire. That's that's very interesting. I, I I think I think you might be right about that because then there's two types of curiosity. Then there's let's say you have a guy who works in finance, and he's quote unquote very curious about finance. 
And then you have to ask yourself your question, are you really curious about finance or are you only curious about it so that you can make more money? Right. And then there's a person who's just naturally curious about a thing, even though it's of no personal benefit to them whatsoever. They're just curious about it as a form of play. And maybe that person who's curious about something as a form of play with no tangible benefit to themselves, maybe they truly are the true philosopher or the, the true curious type where they're doing an activity where they see no monetary or no personal benefit to it. They just are curious about the thing for the sake of. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful and dangerous place to be. I, I think I think that's a good way to leave off, my friend. Um, yeah, I, I think I think we need a little bit of both in our lives. I think it's good to be curious about things that will help yourself and the world around you. But perhaps mm-hmm. there are a few things that you keep on the side that just you can be curious about for the sake of uplifting yourself or fa- or entertaining knowledge that you need. Alex, mm-hmm. thank you so much for concluding the second part with me. Thank you. This concludes the 139th episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.